Are you one of the three quarters of people struggling with a fear or anxiety around public speaking? Do you wish you could communicate more effectively, develop more meaningful relationships, grow your business and access greater opportunities? Welcome to Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. In this series, I'll draw on my own experience from terrified teenager to UK award-winning speaker and communications coach, as well as speaking to a number of special guests, all with one object in mind, to help you communicate more effectively. Ready to grow? Let's get started. Hello, everybody tuning in. Welcome to this episode of the Simon Speaks podcast. And speaking with me today, I've got Hayley T. Wheeler. Absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. She's an author, emotional empowerment coach, and a business mentor. Uh, she does an awful lot of work with a huge variety of people from business leaders and professionals right down to families and people struggling with domestic abuse. Uh, she is the founder of Emotion Mind Dynamic, which she set up after overcoming depression herself and then also helping her own son through anxiety as well. And just to prove that she really does put heart and soul into everything. She's a mother of four children between the ages of 19 and 11. And being a parent of two, I can tell you that's hard enough. But there you go. You've got four. And your motto is self-knowledge is a superpower, which I think makes an apt title for this episode. Uh, from the wonderful Welsh tones, Hayley, welcome to the show. Uh, introduce us uh, to you and just give us a little bit of, of your background and what you're up to at the moment. Well, thanks, Simon. That was a lovely intro. Yeah, um, number four, that's probably my most important and most passion role. But I've got to say, my business and my job and, and the work that I do comes a very close second. So I work with adults, children's, children and families on mental health. So we look at understanding emotions and how they affect our mental health. Um, I think it's really difficult to keep hold when our emotions start and they're triggered. It's really difficult to keep hold. And it's something we don't always talk about. We don't always talk about the connection between the emotion and the mind. And I'm very lucky because I get to witness the miracles of people going from existing to living. And that, for me, is the best thing ever. It's, it's brilliant. And, and I can hear the passion when you talk about it. And it's so great that somebody is because it's a topic that not enough people engage with readily. And I think we're in an age now where mental and emotional health are as critical as they've ever been, especially with the circumstances that we're going through. And yet some people either struggle to access help or know where to go or know which tools to, to employ. Uh, and, and it's something that's so pivotal. So I'm glad that we're discussing this, this particular part of uh, the topic today. The first question I want to ask is, is I know for, for a fact that when you have gone through this journey, you've set up this, this business. Um, as with so many entrepreneurs and other people, it comes from a degree of personal experience. And I, I read quite an extraordinary article uh, last week that you wrote that was very candid and very open. Uh, about that journey. I wonder if you might just take some time and just take me back on that journey a little bit and explain how you got to the point where you're at now from your personal experiences and how, how perhaps those experiences now are shaping the work that you do. Well, my first bout of postnatal depression was in 2004, but I had a second one in 2006. But postnatal depression for me came and went. And the second, well, the first one went unidentified. I don't think I even, I remember trying to, um, oh, what's the word? 
I suppose, mislead the health visitor. When she came out of that, there's a, there's a list of questions they ask you about postnatal depression, and I answered them exactly how I knew she wanted them answered. Nothing to do with her, all to do with me. The second time I actually reached out for help and I got a bibliotherapy, so go and get some books from a library uh, prescription, and I... I was told to wait around for a counselling referral, which never came. So my daughter's now 14. But as I said, those came and went. But then in 2010, so I'd had my fourth. My fourth was fine. I didn't have postnatal depression after the first or the fourth. But in 2010, I started to realise that as I as things were happening to me and I was falling on my backside, I was taking longer to get back up. And I went into learning. So I took to learning as a coping strategy for two years so at one point I was full-time working 37 hours I had four children I was writing a book I had the PGC on the go and I was doing four other courses as well aside from that so I was talking to somebody last week about how regimented I was because Monday would be one course Tuesday would be in college Wednesday would be the book maybe Thursday would be another course and at the time I was only sleeping two to four hours a night so around that, I was either working with the children or doing something, learning in some way. So in 2012, when, that, when I couldn't learn anymore and I kind of reached my, my final point of not being able to learn anymore, that's when I realised that my, the balls I was juggling were really falling down. And they fell, you know, it still took me three years, but they fell and, and I found it really difficult and more and more difficult as time went on to bounce back up because I used to bounce back up and then in 2015 I was knocked on my backside and I found it really impossible almost to get back up and at the same time I'd realised that my son was living with anxiety and had been his whole life he was 11 at the time so we had 11 years of anxiety which I'd never even considered and obviously the one option when when as parents get it wrong is to fall into guilt and now that could have been a really easy route for me because guilt and disappointment were kind of defaults for me and while I was depressed but it actually inspired me to change and, and to do something about it because at the time I felt like there was no way out but his what I could see in my head his future battles became my motivation really because I, I knew that if he found drugs, the way that he'd been with his life and, and the way he described anxiety in his body and the physical sensations, if he'd have found drugs, he would have loved them. So I knew there was a point at and I, I had a chance here to help him. And I, I look back now and I, I don't know why I didn't reach out. I don't know what that point was, but I, I just went on this battle with him to fight our, our anxiety and my depression. And it was interesting. It taught me so many things. You know, I, ha I had to get him to understand his internal working so he could describe to me what was going on so I could help him. And that, that process was quite a long-winded process. Um, <clears throat> but actually, it, it for him, it was a year of fighting, learning, understanding. So by the 4th of September 2016, he hasn't had a panic attack or, or an anxiety attack since. He was having eight or nine a day. So that, that he's a completely different child. Um, I say child, he's like six foot three, he's massive. Um, but for me, it took me a further two years almost to a year more to stabilise, 
and then a further year to find our happiness again and come the other side of depression. And I can say now with my hand on my heart, I am so grateful for having had depression because it did teach me things that I would never have learned about myself otherwise. It's, it's an extraordinary story and, and I, I, listening to it, I, I think that there are so many other people who might have been through that experience and it would have broken them. And, and I think about this often when I hear these remarkable stories from people, which is that what I try and figure out is what it is about that person and their character that made them use that experience or at least get through that experience and then be able to use it as a tool to help other people. And, and that's what you've got on to do. And it's an extraordinary character. Uh, I, I share some similarities with the experiences as I was listening to you there. So my, uh, my great fear when I was younger was communication, speaking to people. I was terrified of communication and uh, ended up quitting jobs over it. Uh, I left the marketing job because I was scared to pick the phone up when they asked me to. But I left that job and, and was gradually working through my fear of speaking to people. And in 2016, our son, uh, Eli, was born in January. So this is, is, is almost five. And when he was born, there were some very severe complications with the birth, which meant that uh, my wife and my son both nearly lost their lives. And, and that put me into a, a spiral, as you can probably well imagine, that, that resulted in quite severe depression. And I struggled with all kinds of feelings of, of guilt and anger towards my son because obviously I, I pinned the blame on him. It wasn't his fault, but I, I attached that blame there. And again, I, as you said, I felt myself in a corner where it was too dark and didn't feel like I would ever get out or ever talk to anyone because I was only just working through my fear of speaking to people, never mind speaking to people about trauma. And, and I didn't know where to turn. And, and it was gradually after probably about six months of just struggling to bond and struggling to, to play my role as a husband and a father. But somebody reached out to me and said, how are you? And I, and I said, I don't know who I am. What's going on? I, I don't know how to even answer that question. And, and the guy turned around to me and he said, you need to go and see somebody. And he said, I, I, I know enough about mental health to know that you need to go and see somebody. And the, the, the frankness of, of the statement shocked me and uh, luckily I heeded his advice and I went to see a counsellor and worked with them very closely for probably six or nine months and that was really the spark for me that helped me make that very long climb back to a place where I felt like I was stable and he's nearly five now as my son and, and I think there are times where I still get very very uh, frustrated with myself and sometimes with him when obviously children being children but in terms of our relationship now it's so much better than it was and, and I still struggle from time to time but it's extraordinary how how depression shapes you and, and you've just mentioned there about you're so grateful you went through it and, and it's an interesting thing to say because I would say the same thing I'm grateful that I went through depression as dark and as awful as it was and I'm sure, sure it was for you as well it does teach you things about yourself it does make you realize that you have to find that purpose to live for, that reason to live. And sometimes that's even the people around you that depend on you. But then gradually, and I don't know if you found this as well, it's recognising that you get to a point in your journey where there are people struggling like you once struggled. And all of a sudden you turn around and you realise, I have the life experience and the tools now to help these people. And maybe that experience was for those people to now be able to benefit from. And 
I wonder, is that anything to do with why you went in the direction you went in and set up what you set up? Yeah, I was coaching prior to going into depression. So I was, you know, a life coach, self-esteem coach. Mm. Um, and I, I had been self-development since, self-development since 2006. So the year that I was pregnant with my daughter, I decided back then, because I was working for um, a domestic violence charity and working with lots of women who had low self-esteem, as did I. So I, re- I decided that I was going to improve my self-esteem so I could help them along. And I did. As I was learning about mine, I took these women along with me and they were learning different things and they were leaving, you know, they were leaving these abusive relationships. Then I realized that they didn't understand what a healthy relationship was. So we went on that route and they were then looking at healthy relationships. And so when this hit, I was a coach and I was not telling anybody I didn't reach out I tested the water with one friend who told me she didn't think I was depressed and I should get a grip and then I didn't do anything until I spoke to two women that helped me set the foundation and I and I went on my journey but I I knew that I learned so much that I wanted to, to help people but I I only ever wanted to help one or two and I always thought if I can help one or two, that's my job done. But the more I do, the more I love it, the more children I see when they come and they're so sad and a mum and dad are really struggling with the situation. And then three sessions later, these, these families are back together. That is just amazing. And teenagers who are distraught, who, are, who are, I wouldn't want to be a teenager in this day and age for love no money. And when they come and they they feel like nobody believes them, nobody trusts them, nobody respects them, and I I give them all that. I give them my trust. I, I give them my respect, and I give them my time. And they go off and they grow and they become these better adults, these happier adults. And then the adults, I I just get to see people who say they say to me all the time, "You are not going to work. Your program is not going to help me because I've I've seen this psychologist. I've seen this." Physio- uh, psychotherapist or I've seen this counsellor I think oh okay let's give it a go anyway let's try um, and then it does it has this effect and this impact on people and I get to witness that I get to see them just transforming before my eyes and and I see it long after as well and I just that for me it, is why I do the job that I do, because I get to see them just... My best part of my job is when they tell me they don't need me anymore. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I've felt that as well. You know, you coach people through the nerves before a presentation and, and then they get through the first one and maybe they have you through a couple more and then they say, I think, I think I'm there now. I think I can prepare this one on my own. And I sit and think, that's fine. That's fine. I've done my job. That's great. Now, we talk a lot about mental health. We talk a lot about things like physical health and business health, but you are emotional empowerment and you talk a lot about emotional health. I'm intrigued by this. Why do you think emotions are such an important part of this process to you? Because I think we, we talk about mental health. We, you know, we are now embracing mental health as a term, as something that we should be talking about as, as a physical state. You know, we need to talk about it. But we are, I think we miss that step of the emotional health and the emotional state that happens 
I think, prior to the mental health. I think there's, it's the emotions that are triggered that are constantly upset and added and, and um, gathered before the mental health comes. And I, we deal with the emotions and, it, and I think we are a society who does not talk about emotions. I think sometimes it's, it's even harder sometimes to talk about emotions because they, they are scary. We, you know, we know what happiness is, we know what sadness is, we know what anger is. But what about all the other things, all the other emotions that are underlying? And if we don't talk about them, what happens to them? And as they, as they start to manifest within our bodies, the physical health, the mental health is like sort of for me, it's, it's like an elevator. It goes up and down. Um, I think if we start there, we get to the root of the mental health issues. And I'm not saying that, you know, that's a, quite a, a general statement. I'm not saying that's every mental health condition. But I do think emotions play a massive part and a bigger part than we give them credit for under the mental health and mental illness terms. Mm. Absolutely. And, and I think now that you say it, people will start to think about those moments where perhaps they're scrolling through social media and they see somebody's life who seems to be picture perfect. You know, they're wearing these wonderful sports clothes and they've got the figure to match and they wonder why their figure doesn't look the same. And then they think, well, that person's making me feel really bad about myself. And then they feel this inadequacy and this shame and this guilt. And then that starts to project how they feel and, and, and how they think about themselves. Therefore, the actions and behaviours or addictions even might spiral in, in response to this emotional stimulus. Maybe that you get an email at work from somebody being critical. And then all of a sudden you feel, again, guilty, upset, anger, uh, infuriated by this person who doesn't understand you or doesn't know what what they're talking about so you think and then again that reflects on how you think about yourself as an employee and your your performance in the workplace and then it affects your output and your productivity so i think it's so so key that people identify that often how you feel about yourself mentally and what goes around in your head and what manifests itself further down the line is often provoked by something that stimulates an emotional reaction and I think that's so interesting. I was talking to my mother-in-law the other day, uh, who's a psychotherapist. And, and one of the things that she's looking to do is write a series of children's books uh, about different emotions and about a child who's trying to express sadness or anger or joy or fear. And they don't know how to do it. So there's going to be a, a series, I think, of four books in different colours. And the child can go and pick the colour book off the shelf, depending on how they felt that day. And they can read the book with the parent and talk about the feeling and why they're feeling that way. She shared it with me. She was a bit uh, nervous and had a bit of trepidation about it. But I thought, that's, that's such an inspired idea because it's a tool for children to get comfortable talking about these emotions. Go with me through a, a, a case study, perhaps, if you will. Is, is there somebody that comes to mind? Obviously, you don't have to give names, but is there somebody who comes to mind who has really been influenced by the work that you've done and, and uh, something that you've seen that's really impressed you? Oh, I could give you so many. Um, I think probably the one that always brings, I've got two gentlemen actually, whose lives were quite parallel, very similar upbringing. Um, one was in his 30s and one was 63. So we have quite an age range, but very similar patterns as a result of the childhoods. And both had had the same message. As a man, your strength is seen in 
whether you can beat somebody up or whether you can play rugby or whether you can play football or and that's kind of where their strength that's where they came to believe that their strength was and the the 63 year old man to, to be fair to him he was honest from the start he said i don't think this is going to effing work um but i'm going to come because you are my last resort and i get that a lot i get a lot of you are my last resorts and I took him through my programme, so it's six sessions for adults, and he he was honest. He'd never been that honest. He was, he'd done things that he would never do. You know, it, it was not, at 63, we don't talk about emotions. That, that generation, he's not much younger than my dad, but that generation, particularly men, were not taught to be emotional or to allow emotions to show or to express yourself in any way. So we went through the programme and on his, he came back, they have a maintenance session a month after the, the fifth session. And he came back and he said, well, I didn't think that was going to work. Sitting in a bloody room with a woman, I didn't think that was going to work, telling her everything. And I just, that for me is the best because the more you think it's not going to work, the more of a challenge it is for me. But he now... As a, a gent, he's now 64. As a gent in that generation, he writes a journal every day. He's taken control of his emotional and his mental health. He writes the journal. He allows himself to understand how he's feeling that day so that he can plan his day. If he's in a bad mood and he needs to go in, in the potting shed, he goes to the potting shed. If he's having a good day, then he might do something with his wife and, and make other plans. But he's now got the skills and the tools and the empty emotional vessel to be able to do that. And that, I think it's because of the age thing as well. And, and the gentleman who was in his 30s, he, similar position, he doesn't write a journal, but his life has changed dramatically. He's got younger children. He has moved house. He's had, he was promoted. He even went to leave his job to find something else that was more fulfilling that for me is just amazing. It sounds it, and, and I love the fact it comes around to, to the motto that you you say so often is self knowledge is a superpower. What made you pick that, and, and what's the thinking behind behind the motto? Because I love it, and I think it makes a great title. But what made you choose it? That is what got me through depression. Because the more I understood about myself the more able I was to move forward, to answer questions, to ask questions, to understand how depression affected me, to understand how other people affected me, how I, how I affected other people, my emotional state, my mental state, my behaviour, my, my self-esteem, my self-belief, my self-worth, and it all adds up to this, you know, we promote knowledge as power and we teach children maths English geography you know you're a teacher you, you do all these things but we never teach children how they work and now I know how I work and I'm you know I'm, I'm not at the end of my journey this is still over Christmas I have learned to harness more emotions I've you know that is for me it's about the emotional state and understanding that and being able to choose how I react or respond and this last fortnight has been about understanding when I'm when a, a really negative emotion is triggered, 
to take that time out because I'm a bit of a hot head. I, my mum's a redhead and I think I have it from her. And sometimes I, I react before I take that time and I'm really practicing. This year is going to be about practicing. Right, that's been triggered. What do I want to do about it? Rather than, bang, I've, I've just reacted and I, I'm sorry, I regret it. So that self-knowledge for me, because nobody else is going to understand that of me. Nobody's going to be able to tell me that that's what's happening for me inside. So the more we dig and, and understand that knowledge about reactions, responses, personality, characteristics, character traits, our likes, our dislikes, it, it really is empowering. It, it makes us make different choices. It makes us make new friendships new relationships or at least we can change the dynamics of relationships because now we understand what we want and that isn't something that we are taught to do very well we you know we know what food we like maybe what what drinks we like but who teaches us about this is your personality and that's okay and in a classroom I, I often see children who are the joker or the person who's you know with the brains and but nobody ever tells them it's okay to be the class joker. It's okay to be the, the, the brains or it's okay to like this or it's okay to like that. However, you have to behave in a way that's respectful. You can be or you can be any or all of those things, but it's your behavior that needs to be reined in or uh, what's the word controlled, I suppose. It's, but nobody tells you that. We often give the hidden message, to, particularly children who are jokers or who, who misbehave. We, we, the hidden message we give them is, you're wrong. You don't fit. Rather than, okay, we know you're the class joker. We know that you know there's something going on for you that makes you want to be the class joker. And that's fine. Being funny is fine. Let's see how we harness that for you and your personality and get the most out of it. I think that's brilliant. And and as as you were speaking there, I, I've had a moment to reflect on on my marriage. I've been married for nearly eight years now, and and as my wife and I have been married, I I, I have a tendency to take things quite sensitively and sometimes be quite reactive. And my wife is somebody who takes everything personally and is very sensitive and puts everything on herself. So if she sees me upset, she instantly thinks it's her fault. And I'll say to her, it's very rarely anything to do with my wife. It's it's always something else. And, and early on in our marriage, if she could see that I was upset, she would ask me why I was upset. I tended to be quite reactive and I would say something probably not very well formulated and quite sharp. And she would take it on herself, take it personally and assume that she was the problem. And then we won't speak to each other for a bit. <laughs> but now we've got to a point in our relationship where if something's upsetting me, she will see that I'm upset. She can see something's bothering me. And she'll, she'll just say to me, is, is everything okay? And, and I, I now am sufficiently aware of myself and my own reactions enough to say, it's not your fault. I just need some time. And that's all I'll say. And, and she understands then that it's not her problem. And I'll be all right in a couple of hours. I'll talk to her about it. But I just need to stew for a bit. Because what I'm doing in that couple of hours is I'm trying to work through my emotions and understand why I feel that way, what the trigger is, and how I'm going to express it to my wife. So now I'll take my two hours and then I'll come back across and I'll say, okay, here's the situation. Here's why I feel this way. It's not your fault. This is the problem. And then we work it out. Now that's taken eight years. 
<laughs> and, and in another eight, we'll probably be somewhere else. But that self-knowledge of, of my own reaction to things, my own emotions and where those emotions come from. And sometimes it's irrational. It's tiny things. It's not like there's been a huge accident and I have to deal with all this trauma. It's, it's somebody might have said something that I took the wrong way. And then that's the trigger. But now I, I know how to work through that. And I'm getting there. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm, but I'm working on it. And uh, it, it just reminded me of that situation. So I thought, yeah, it, it really does fit in. I, I also wanted to ask you, um, part of what you do, I know that you said you're an author, and I've explained this before, and I still find it extraordinary. Most people go through their whole lives thinking, oh, I might be an author someday. And never, it never comes to pass, and it's, it's quite a feat of achievement. You said that you became an author completely by accident. Now, I'm sure there are people out there thinking, how do you accidentally write a book? Well, th this is how, Haley. How, how do you write a book by accident? Go on. Well, <laughs> yes, it was an accidental book. Um, I started off writing a trifle leaflet. So it was supposed to be A4, two sides with, with six little panels in it. But I couldn't stop writing. So I just continued to write until there were 164 pages. And it, it was a book about domestic abuse, actually. It was supposed to be kind of um, a reminder for the group that I was running at the time, a reminder for them to, to, to sort of remember the little bits of information and, and things to consider as they went forward. But I just couldn't stop writing. And I wrote and wrote and wrote. There were nights I didn't go to bed till three o'clock. I was getting up before and there were still words coming out. Um, and it took me then two years to edit it because I, I didn't understand the editing because it, it wasn't a plan. And I, um, yeah, that's kind of how you accidentally write a book. You start with an A4 piece of paper and you just keep writing. <laughs> Until you get to 162. <laughs> oh, now, there might be people listening to this, and I'm sure there probably will be, who might be in a situation where perhaps you and I were, where they might be feeling down depressed especially in the circumstances that we're in at the moment and they might not yet be in a position where they are fully aware of themselves or how they react to certain situations or even that there's anything else out of life they might just be feeling very bleak and very despondent about things if there's somebody in that situation i'm sure there will be from your experience what advice would you give to somebody who's at that stage to start making the climb to start trying to get themselves into a position where maybe they can reach out for help or maybe they know where to go to get help. What would be your advice from your situation? I would say one of the prominent things that I remember for me personally, and I, and I see it a lot with clients, with children and adults, is the self-punishment and the expectations of, of getting better. You know, if I do this, I'll get better. If there's one thing you can do today, it's to catch those self-punishing thoughts and to just drop them for the moment. And the more you do that, the more you disrupt that pattern, because it becomes a pattern, disrupt that pattern of the self-punishment and, and the, the self-criticism, the self-judgment and the expectation of, I should be doing it better, I should be happier. Take those away. And I know it sounds... I always say it sounds like I think it's black and white and you can do it today. It's not about doing it today. It's just about considering it today. If you go to bed tonight with the thought, right, I'm, I'm just going to acknowledge I, I self-punish. You've just broken the pattern. If you get up tomorrow and you say, 
I'm acknowledging I, I self-punish, you're still breaking the pattern. And you get to a point where you go, okay, I'm self-punishing. And even if you only stop for a minute, you've disrupted that pattern. And the more disruptions you make to that pattern, the better off you'll be longer term. Mm. And, and we have a lot of internal patterns. That's just one I can think of that is evident to a lot of people, a lot of people I work with. Yeah, I, I was having a conversation with a friend several months ago who was having counselling. And they said they'd been to a counselling session and they were sat with the counsellor and they just had all these negative thoughts that they were expressing about themselves. This is how I feel about myself. This is what I think. This is me. I'm not worth anything and all, and, and all of these kinds of things. And the counsellor just said, stop. And the counsellor said, who told you that? Who said that to you? And, and my friend had to stop and think for a minute and said, well, nobody. So the counsellor had to say, well, if nobody's told you these things, where are they coming from? And, and the, my friend gradually realised that these were all entirely self-generated misconceptions about, about their, their self-worth, about their, their appearance and how they thought other people perceived them. And they were all completely wrong because it, it was self-generated. And so my, my friend just had a real wake-up call and thought, well, this, this, this pattern needs to change. And it's, it's so easy for us to do because we live in a world of comparison. And, and I love social media. I love it as a tool for communicating, for consuming good quality learning content, for producing good quality learning content. But there is a, a breeding ground for unhealthy comparison, even against yourself, uh, but against other people in particular. And, and I find it a very tricky one to manage. I mean, I, I don't mind saying, my, I watch my wife sometimes. She goes on Instagram. And she's all into health and fitness. She, she's a qualified personal trainer. And she, she absolutely loves learning about new workouts and things and new diets and everything else. But she'll go on Instagram and there, there are days where she will go on and half an hour later she will come off after scrolling and she's a different woman. And something's happened in that half an hour where her mood can become quite negative and she can be quite dismissive of herself. And I'll say, well, who told you this? <laughs> and they use the same trick. And she'll say... Well, it's just what I've seen. But she doesn't think about the editing, the filtering, the money, the endorsements, the sponsorship. And, it, and it's terrible. And that's why social media is very tricky because it can be a breeding ground for those kind of negative um, punishing thoughts. And I think what you're, what you're catching on to there is, is something that we can do day in, day out, passively, without actually realising we're doing it. I think that's where the danger um, really, really comes in. There was one more question that I had for you before we get to, to the latter stage. Um, and, and the question kind of comes back to something I mentioned earlier, which is about, about character. The experiences that you had with, with your depression and, and where you said you, you, know, you, you had your number of experiences where you got to that really bleak point. When you were in that low point, was there perhaps a a thought or a principle that you've been taught when you were younger or an influence of some kind that you drew upon that, that maybe lifted you or provided you with some impetus to turn it round. Because I know there are so many people out there who might have gone through what you've gone through and may have done it differently. What sparked it for you? Ooh, that's a big question. Um, the actual motivation was my son 
Mm. And I, I suppose I'm kind of lucky in a sense because it's easier to do it for somebody else. And he kept me going as well. So the more I saw he was getting better, the more I wanted to do. So that kind of kept me on that. I suppose it was the carrot and the stick in a good way. The more the more improved he was and the less panic attacks he was having, I, I wanted to do more and it gave me that, I don't know, that the the energy to keep going as well. And I there wasn't a particular there was a particular irrational thought that made me step back and say, I have to do this now. That thought frightened me because I never ever thought I would ever think like that. Mm. And that kind of was my right. I have to do this now or I have to walk away from my family. And it wasn't, there was no plan that there was a, an instant that happened, an irrational thought that frightened me that I suppose, I, I suppose that was my brick wall, really. It was my, I run into that brick wall and I went, I have to do something now because mm-hmm. if I don't do it now, maybe there will never be a way out. And then he needing to get him better was the motivation that kept me going and, and I suppose once he was better and I, I no longer had to work on his behalf, I had to work for myself. Mm. And I, I wasn't the parent I wanted to be. I hated the parent that I was. I hated the person that I was because that wasn't me. And I, it was okay to feel like that at the time. And I didn't know that. I'm not saying that, you know, everybody should feel like that. They shouldn't. But when you do feel like that, it's easy to start the self-punishment and the kicking yourself and, and the, you know, telling yourself how awful you are. And But if you can, if you can understand, this is the self-knowledge bit, I suppose, if you understand that pattern that happens for you, then you can start to change that. But in terms of motivation, I had somebody else I needed to do it on behalf of before I did it for myself. Yeah, I echo so much of that. I think when, when I was first struggling to overcome a fear of, of speaking to people and I'd quit that job and I was kind of at crossroads thinking, how am I ever going to have a life or a career or a, a real family or good relationships if I can't talk to anyone, if, if I really suffer with this? And I was newly married at the time and, and I was suffering with all this. And I remember my wife just saying to me, I know this is difficult. I know it's going to be a long road and it's going to be a battle but I'm here and I'll support you through that. And, and when she said that, there was something in the back of my head that said, somebody else is in this with me. I'm not on my own, but there is somebody else at stake as well. So it was the, the push and the pressure. And it gave me that spark of motivation to, to overcome my fear of, of speaking to people. And then I think gradually, you know, as I went through the, the challenge with my son and, and him being born, I arrived at that point where I suddenly thought I need to get the help like my friend told me to get. So I got started to get the help and then gradually as I became more stable and learned to talk to people better and start speaking properly, then all of a sudden I found that there were people with battles and problems and challenges and having coached a couple of people like yourself, I've saw changes in them and suddenly realized I've gone from a point where I needed shaping 
to a point where I can help shape other people. And that's now the real spark and, and the motivator. But I, I think uh, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's work and he always talks about starting with why and finding the why. And I think generally speaking, the why is usually a person or people. And if you can find that reason, that someone to help, that someone that, that sparks you, then you can get to a point where you think, okay, I now know why I'm doing these things. Now it's about how do I do it? And I think the how becomes a lot easier when you've got that, that why set in place. At the start of 2021, I can't think of many better messages or many better conversations to listen to than this one. I think people will want to listen to this and suddenly think, okay, I'm being a bit harsh to myself. Maybe it's five days into January and I've already failed at my New Year's resolution and I'm going to punish myself for a bit. Do you know what? I didn't even make any this year because the turn of the year doesn't change the, the situation we're in. So it's a choice day by day thing to, to gradually work through this year and see where we end up at the end of it. I would like you to let us know how could somebody get in touch with you? Because I think some people should and will want to. So lay it out for us. How would we do that? So on all social media, you'll find me on Hayley T. Wheeler. That's on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook. Uh, my website is www.hayleytwheeler.co.uk and my email is hayley at hayleytwheeler.co.uk consistent branding you see we like that i i tried to get simon speaks for everything and i couldn't because somebody in america's got it so i've got simonspeaks.co.uk but all of my social media has to be at underscore simon speaks i hate that but anyway final final parting message the top two minutes i like to call it where where people just in the last couple of minutes give people one message or one action that they want them to remember take away implement if there was one thing you could have everybody start doing this year or now to better the future what would you suggest can i cheat and do two yeah go. <laughs> it's, it's new year um so the first one i i this for me is the most integral message i think is that you are the most important person in your life. No matter what your roles are, and I'm talking parenting, caring, teacher, business owner, the one common theme in every aspect of your life is you. And you deserve to look after yourself because if you don't, who will step up, live your life, be the parent, be the business owner, who will do all those things to your standard if you don't? And there is no, there's nothing wrong in taking time out to self-care. There's nothing selfish in self-caring. Because ultimately, I don't know about you, Simon, but when I was broken, nobody stepped up. Nobody stepped up to parent my children. Nobody stepped up to run my business. Nobody stepped up in any way, shape or form to do anything on my behalf. And I'm not saying they would have done it to my standard, but the offer wasn't there either. So you, you want these things to happen in your life, whatever they may be. That you know, This isn't about one thing or another. This is about everything. It's only you that goes through your life with you. So the more you, more you prioritize yourself, the more you put yourself at the top of that priority list, or at top three, at least, and occasionally in the top, 
the better off you'll be, the more empowered you'll feel, the more able you'll be, the more energetic you'll be, the more motivated you'll be. Whereas if you keep putting yourself lower and lower and lower on your priority list, you just feel flat and eventually people will walk all over you. And I think the one thing I I do want to leave you with is is the message we talked about before Christmas. So this is something I've done all year, is do it anyway. If you are struggling with something and you've considered reaching out or you've considered doing something that may help you, do it anyway. You know, exercise has been a thing for me this year. I've done it when I'm tired. I've done it when I've had an hour's sleep. I've done it when I've had six hours sleep. I've done it consistently, even on the days where I couldn't cycle because I was so tired, I still cycled. My legs were moving. So when you start to learn to do it anyway, so even if it is putting yourself first, do it anyway, it, it, it's a really good message to be able to just get up and say, I'm tired, I'm this and that or the other, I could make excuses here, but I'm going to do it anyway. That feels amazing. I wholeheartedly endorse that. You know, there, there was a time where I would have struggled to speak to anyone, and, and perhaps subconsciously, this podcast is me continuing to prove to myself that I can talk to people. And, and I'm a product of the conversations I've had, the help I've asked for, the feedback I've got, and the fact I've chosen to implement the feedback. And, and every single one of those decisions has taken courage, has been hard, but I've done it anyway. And now I'm at a point in my journey where I'm running a podcast, and if this conversation we've had today helps a bunch of people, then it was because you did what you did, I did what I did, we made some choices, we brought those together, and we had this conversation. And that is what life is about is about doing something that might be slightly uncomfortable or challenging for you in the faith or the hope that further down the line it will make your life better or even perhaps make someone else's life better this has been an utter joy uh what a privilege thank you for coming on I, I thank you people will do something with this conversation now. Hopefully they will. And, and you know, there's there's lots of stuff out there. There's lots of things that people can do. And there's things like this that are invaluable. You can listen to this while you're running. You can listen to it while you're exercising. You can listen to it while you're cooking. And there's, there's lots you can do for yourself, even when you think you can't, or even when you think there's not a lot out there. So, you know, you're, you're doing a fabulous job with, with getting this stuff out there, this information out there for people to, to access readily. Well, it will be out readily very shortly, <laughs> along with the show notes and all the links that uh, you can use to contact Haley. Please engage with it. Please uh, reach out and talk to one of us should you need uh, that support and we can put you in touch and, and make sure that we, we get that moving for you. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast as much as we've enjoyed making it. Thank you very much for tuning in and we'll see you in the next episode. And the next guest has an awful lot to live up to. So thank you, Haley. <laughs> thank you. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Simon Speaks, a public speaking podcast with me, your host, Simon Day. I hope that what you've learned in today's episode will help you become a more effective communicator as you put it into practice. You can visit my website, simonspeaks.co.uk for more information, tips, articles and resources, or to speak to me about working with me as a coach. 
I'm also available on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Simon Speaks. I'm on LinkedIn and I also have a YouTube channel. Just search for Simon Speaks. Thanks again for tuning in today and I look forward to seeing you again next time.